The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the new wave of change that is emerging in our world today? What does it look like? How will it reshape our collective future? We see more and more women are making a rapid rise to the top, taking over leadership of their countries, influencing social and political decisions on a global scale. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine with host Gina Lazenby. This is a movement that is putting the feminine values of compassion and collaboration back into the economy and our world. Everyone and everything is being affected. Our conversation starts now. Here is your host, Gina Lazenby. Welcome to the Rise of the Feminine. I'm your host, Gina Lazenby, and I'm delighted and honored to be a champion for this fascinating conversation. Not only are women rising in the world today, but feminine values are also being increasingly expressed more openly in men and women. Last week, I had a really great conversation with Indra Adnan of the Soft Power Network. It was interesting to hear how the modern iteration of soft power has evolved away from top-down propaganda and matured to something that's much more about developing relationships and really engaging with people and having influence. Of course, all this is massively supported by the revolution of connection that we now have, which is very enabling and empowering empowering for women to change the narratives in the world. From what Indra said, it's easy to see that we women are the ones who can lead the creation of a new story for humanity. I'm also grateful to Kristin Envig for her insights into the egalitarian nature of Norwegian society that warrants it as being one of the top soft power countries. And finally, my thanks to Dr. Phyllis Santamaria, who shared how 50 years after her first visit to Guatemala with the American Peace Corps, she can see that a whole community were empowered and enriched by the initiatives she helped put in place. It all started with a simple weaving project for the women. Now, if you missed the show and you want to listen to the recording at your leisure, then do check out our Rise of the Feminine Radio Facebook page, or you can hit the podcast button on your smartphone and search for Gina Lazenby. That's pretty cool. This week, um, we're going to look at something relatively new called gender economics, and I will be discussing with gender economist Africa Zanella the contribution of women to society and the key role international policymaking organizations play in gender equality. Our country report moves us to South Africa. We will meet Madeleine Makuno in Cape Town and hear about how visionary women are stepping forward with initiatives to rebuild the country. We'll discover that women's contribution to uplifting the continent is so much more about buildings than it is about bangles and beads. Finally, our one-woman feature is on grandmother and retired guesthouse owner, Valerie Humphreys. She returned from an adventure holiday with an unexpected project, sponsoring a penniless porter in Uganda in his quest to be a medical doctor. So let's get started. My first guest is Africa Zanella. 
She's the CEO and founder of the Center for Sustainability and Gender Economics. She's a lecturer and international public speaker. Her passion is sustainability, gender equality, and its connection to economic growth. She's based in Spain. She works all over the world developing programs and implementing change that supports sustainable growth that positively impacts women. She's also a member of the Green Learning Community and is involved with climate change and G20 expert review committees. Hello, Africa. Thank you for joining me on The Rise of the Feminine. Thank you very much, Gina. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And am I speaking to you? In, are you in Spain at the moment? Is that where yes. you live? Yes, I am. I'm, uh, well, I, I travel from Australia to Spain. Um, so right now I'm in, in Malaga, Spain. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, I, I tend to work internationally and in, in, uh, these are my two houses. Oh, wonderful. So, so I know that you um, have the Center for Sustainability and Gender Economics. And I particularly when I got your card, when I met you at the Global Women's Summit, I thought, mm, gender economics, that's interesting. So tell us about that. What is gender economics? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Well, the, 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 the one thing that one needs to emphasize is the word gender. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about gender, we talk not about women and men, but we talk about male and females. In other words, their contribution to society in an economic sense. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we, we're talking about how women and men interact in, in as economic beings. Mm-hmm. And that's called gender economics. It's not a feminist economist. Is not a, a, a sort of social economic uh, economic models or anything like that, but it's just a development over years of the fact that women' role in society has not always been measured accurately. And there's a number of economics uh, economists, I should say, especially in Spain, and that's one of the reasons why I've come to Spain from from the uh, Association of Spanish Economists comes a group that is actually uh, developed the term gender economics. Mm. And they do research on the role of women in, in society. Um, everyone knows that women have two roles in society. One is, co- is economic and the other one is reproductive. Uh, often that second one, the reproductive role, has been totally and utterly um, taken uh, uh, into account only as a basis of social. But now economists are also thinking in terms of measuring what is the value of housework, for example. Mm. And I know there are cer- certain pa- panels, in, in particular, in the international bodies that would like to see that measured and, and accounted for mm. in the same way as we account for someone going to work every day. So this... Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, it's the unpaid nature of it. It's, it, it we, we refer to women working, but we really mean paid work because women do an enormous amount of work which is unpaid. And, and and that's our that's the correct phrasing. It's the unpaid work versus the paid work outside the home, inside the economy. And funnily enough, last week, um, Kristin Envig said that in Norway, the Norwegians had calculated the role of women in the economy. They contributed through their salaries and taxation more than oil and gas. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised about that statistics, nor am I surprised about the fact that women have always worked. Uh, and they have always worked in paid and unpaid jobs. Yeah. For example, when we look at, and I'm particularly interested uh, recently to ensure that we look at women and, and the role of women in the gender economics equation with regards to uh, rural women. Uh, and, and, and I want to tie this up, if I may, with the role of the Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah, please. Now, gender equality is 
intrinsically woven with a multiple sustainable goals. If you start off with of the 17 goals, if you start with the first one, it's called poverty alleviation. Poverty alleviation has has been a, role, a goal of the United Nations for many times, but now we we you know we have come down to 17 goals which we must uh, achieve somewhere along uh, in, by 2030. Now, in the words of the United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki Moon. It was said very clearly during the UN Sustainable Development Summit that we cannot achieve our 2030 agenda for sustainable development without full and equal rights for half of the world population in law and in practice. Mm -hmm. Essentially what that means is he, he, he quotes half the population, but you know when you think about it, it's probably by now even more uh, than half of the population are women. Yeah. In some in some cases, and in fact, if I can go back to another source, uh, the 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 World Bank, another UN source, they publish every year an, a, um, a, a a report called Women, Business, and the Law. The the issue I, uh, there in the 2016, it was it, it, it became clear that. There isn't one country who doesn't that doesn't discriminate against women. Mm -hmm. So we still have a long way to go in terms of what we call parity, equality, and the role of women in the economic equation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, what I see in the world, uh, I'm sure you do around the world, is a, women have great visions for change, and there's things happening at the small level. But what we have to do is to be able to sit in the places where action really happens so that we can make things happen. And, exactly. I, I, you know, I think you've been talking about how policies have to be structured. So talk more about that, about okay. what's happening there that enables women to have access to the equal playing field. Exactly. Well, uh, one of the roles that I played in, in Australia was I was on the Premier's Council for Women. And that was a, a policy body advising the government through the Ministry of Women on how women can be brought up to standards that uh, are normally accepted by men, for men, as you say, not by men, maybe by men and for men, and are, are yet not um, equally accepted by for women. Now, equal pay, for example, you know, it's taking a long time for women to get equal pay. Uh, it's taking us a long time to get, for example, a, an equal number of men and women on the board. There are certain concessions in the European Union, for example, 30% of, uh, uh, of board members need to be women and they have to meet certain requirements, and it's slowly changing that, that side of things. Uh, and that is all done through policy, it's all done through government. Mm -hmm. I am, uh, for example, uh, in, in during the the, uh, the climate change uh, summit, which is an important event. Um, subsequent to that, there were a number of other summits organised by the OECD, which is the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, which has an important clout with regards to how economic development is taking place worldwide, in particular in 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 countries like Europe and and. Uh, even Latin America and so on. The, the fact of the matter is that even at that forum uh, where we were discussing the fourth industrial um, re uh, revolution, which is what it, it is called now, how we need to sort of now integrate certain issues of sustainability, of green economy, of uh, a um, circular economy. In other words, you know, we, we are at a stage where 
I think, you know, uh, a lot of people have discussed this, where it's not just about economic growth. It is much more than economic growth. It is about well-being. Mm. It's about environmental care. Uh, the, the, the importance of the impacts that companies have on the environment and the impact that the environment has on, on the ability to produce jobs or the ability to create a, a society and maintain that society, that is all very relevant to today's uh, world. Uh, even at the level of the microeconomics, not the macroeconomics, but the microeconomics, when we're dealing with the firm and the companies, we, we have an, an incredible number of, of companies that now have to report under sustainability guidelines. Now, one of the sustainability guidelines is how is the company handling gender? Mm-hmm. In other words, the policy of the company, the culture of the company, and the, all the protocols that go about implementing programs that will allow men and women to be able to have equal opportunities and equal play. Mm-hmm. So there are many statistics, but you know it, it's obviously um, important to, to note that at the level of macro policy, at the OECD, at the UN, at the national government levels, all of those are important um, bodies that regulate the fair play, the play that you just mentioned, you know, how are we going to treat women, how are we going to treat humans, uh, irrespective of what color or gender they, they have. Um, a lot of emphasis, of course, have been placed and have to be continue to be played on the role that women play as reproductive. And policies have to be implemented, and there are a number of very strong leading companies that have put in place uh, programs for maternity and paternity uh, leave in order to allow the women to to integrate um, into the workforce. So what what you're saying there is through policy enable women to participate in the work as well as a family. It's not an either or choice. No, it isn't. You remove that choice from them. The choice can be made for other things, but that isn't a choice. That They are able to do that where they need or want to. Yes, absolutely. There's a a human right. We can go into the human right argument, but I... Uh, you know, and that's something that, you know, is almost like the sine qua non condition for a human being in society is that he has human rights. Mm. I mean, you know, irrespective. But, you know, in the human right issue is an important issue in certain countries for women where the cultural elements or the non-institutional um, formal institutions such as religion and, and culture would have an effect on the way that women are perceived and the women and, and what barriers they have and, and, and so on and so forth. But I won't talk about those. I'm talking about institutional change. In other words, the change that come as a result of good policy being implemented, being developed in countries and nationally and internationally and even at the private sector level. Let, yeah. let me say a few... Carry on. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. For yeah. example, let's say um, we talk... Uh, one issue that really uh, concerns me at the moment is that we're going to have the COP22. The COP22 is the Climate Change Summit, yeah. which will take place in Marrakesh. Now, two, two very interesting um, aspects to this uh, special meeting. The COP21 was a success in Paris. There were signed agreements, everything. Now we have to see how much progress we've made. However, I haven't seen too many women other than, I will say, Gutierrez from the United Nations, you know, Cristina Gutierrez was a, 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 
uh, the representative from the United Nations that brought about this, this amazing uh, agreement. But that's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough about one woman, and it's not enough about token women. Mm-hmm. It's all about what policy we put in place in order for all women, every woman, to have the right to do what they need to do and want to do in society. And in particularly, because the economic situation is so important, we have moved into an environment where you know, it is not possible for families often to live on one salary. And it's not fair for a woman to have to just be the mother of children in, in, when they might want to sort of fulfill other requirements, and so on and so forth. So, for example, in this area of climate change, there is one issue that seems to escape everyone. We're talking about this in this summit, about water. Uh, water being a natural element, which is to, so terribly important, and with the climate change and the heating up, there may be some changes there that m- may affect all kinds of things. Uh, even President Obama mentioned the fact that this climate change meeting is, is crucial to national security. I'm more concerned about this meeting involving women in the discussions because once we talk about climate change, we're also talking about food production. Yeah, that does involve women, doesn't it? Yeah. In, yeah. in its totality, 50%, and this is a fact produced by the United Nations, 50% of the world production is in the hands of women. But here's another little interesting thing. For example, Gina, Mm -hmm. the fact is that even though 50% is women, 20%, only 20% uh, is ownership in the hands of women. Mm -hmm. This is what we've got to change, isn't it? And as you say, we've got to shift the situation so that where these policies are made, um, we've got women at the policy level and not just the men talking about policies that affect women. So we've just got half a minute left. What do you think we can do about that? <laughs> well, we can, do, we can do things like in every international forum, please, you know, uh, go there if you can yeah. and create a presence, create a voice. If you can contribute, please do so. I'm hoping to go to Marrakesh for two reasons. One, because I would like to present I, on a, on a, in a workshop, the, the round table, the issue of food security in women. Now, out of that, the same as I did with the G20, might come out some sort of policy that says, well, yes, when we talk about climate change, we need to seriously consider the role of women and how women can become involved in the mitigation processes, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So my, my, my thing... My, my great desire, dream, and ambition is to have a vision of action, to actually go and do things, and to become involved at the macro level, at the policy development level, yeah. because small things may take a long, long time. Yes, but small things are important. That's great. That's a great place to end. I'm interested to hear more of your work and what you do, but I think we're getting the picture that we need to have women at these policy-making tables, and where we do have them, we are getting the changes that we need. Africa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Gina. It really has been a pleasure. I know that we could talk for hours, but uh, thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) You know, the the Spanish blood does come up every now and then with the passion, but nevertheless, I think the vision is also there for a better world and uh, hopefully one where you know, parity and rationality yeah. uh, are in the, in, the, in, the, in the corner of women. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, yeah. Africa. And now we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then I'm back introducing my next guest, Madeline Makunu. 
Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to the Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby. Welcome back. I think what's interesting here is that there are so many conversations about areas in business where we need equality, like, of course, women on boards, all really important, and they're frequently in the media. But as Africa pointed out, there's nothing more dispiriting than seeing a gathering of 30 men to discuss important policy and having just one woman present. The token woman really doesn't change anything. It's only when we can have an equal voice, when we really have diverse conversations that can bring all points of view together and we get actions that cover everything, all aspects of life in a more balanced way. And not just what gets noticed by men or felt from their perspective to be important. It's clear that women see things differently and make different priorities. So I find it exciting to hear about leading women of Africa and what they're doing to give a more powerful voice to women across the continent. I've known Madeleine Akuno over eight years now, and I've seen the organization grow impressively. So for this show, I thought it would be informative to put the spotlight on South Africa and hear about women finding a means to put into action their vision for the development of their country. Madeline is now, um, she's our next guest. She's the founder and president of Leading Women of Africa organization, which she created as an empowering platform to promote women-owned businesses. She's a visionary entrepreneur whose dream is to shape a new generation of African leaders. She's director of LWA Corporate Investment, a firm that aims to increase the number of women involved in investment and international trade. She also sits on the board of South African Small and Medium Enterprise Federation, and she was mentored by one of the Madeline, founders of Africa, hello. You're in David Kenneth Kalinda, the, Rise the, the first president of Zambia. Thank you, Gina, for having me. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm based in Cape Town in South Africa. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, 
for this part of the show, we're going to come over and find out what you're doing in South Africa. And we've just been talking to a gender economist and we've been talking about how policies can support uh, women creating their vision in the world in action. And I have seen over the last few years, you've had an incredible organisation, the Leading Women of Africa. So why don't you tell us about that and your original vision for creating that? Wow, this is interesting. Thank you so much for inviting me on this platform. Basically, Leading Women of Africa is a Pan-African forum that promotes the inclusion of women in the mainstream, uh, in the mainstream economy uh, to ensure that more women emerge as successful and influential leaders in all spheres. So we look at political, professional, uh, economic arena on the continent. The aim really of our organization actually to position women as economic, um, economic basically driving force uh, of the continent because we really believe that women's economic empowerment um, must be the focal point of the, the 21st century, especially as we are basically entering into the era of sustainable development. You know, it uh, has been acknowledged that the, the, the inclusion of women in the process of development is critical in order for us to achieve uh, what we need to achieve as Africa. So hence we, uh, I mean, seven years ago, Gina, I have put together this platform, which, um, as I said, a Pan-African platform that really brings women of Africa together as role players in the development space. Mm. You know, when we, we met a few years ago when you came to London on a trade mission, and I have to say, one of the new projects that you launched or in the process of launching was women involved in the infrastructure rebuilding in Africa and, and, and uh, oil and gas, building housing complexes and estates. And I think, you know, I have to admit, initially I had my surprise because so often the women of Africa are positioned as necklace makers you know impoverished it's we we hardly hear news of women leaders leaders in the economy just like you've described and i was so excited to to hear that these initiatives were happening that you were enabling women you were opening doors for them and enabling them to be in places where they could get their you know they put their businesses forward so tell us something more about that that initiative that you've been doing because i just thought it was brilliant Thank you so much, Gina, for that. Uh, let me start first by positioning first uh, uh, South, South African policy. Uh, within our policy is that really women is occupying a very important place um, at economic level, at the political level. So one of the policies, uh, for instance, of the Department of Trade and Industry is that they, need, uh, they, they, they have assigned themselves or mandated themselves to promote more women in business because um, as a country like any other country you know we are really facing with the issue of unemployment and uh, and poverty and all that yeah. so they are uh, the, the government as a whole believe that the more women can be economically empowered the more we can start uh, kind of trying to resolve the issue of unemployment so so one of the policies is really to push women entrepreneurs forward so uh, as part of that um, policy, basically, it means that they allow women to actually go on various trade missions with the aim of identifying other opportunities or connecting with um, 
other stakeholders with the aim of bringing business uh, in the country. So part of that policy then, we we have built a program where we do number of trade missions in Africa and outside of Africa where the government actually support uh, women on flights, with accommodation and uh, subsistence during that trade mission. Really it's positioning us as women entrepreneurs to, to actually not be afraid to go out there and look for uh, business opportunities. Mm-hmm. Let's get to what you have just highlighted earlier uh, about the program that we're running which is called Women in Infrastructure Development in Africa. You know, there is uh, actually uh, the, the African Development Bank, the AU, and the NEPAD, uh, in 2014 or 2013, they came up with a program called uh, a Program for Infrastructure Development in Africa, which is called PIDA. And that uh, program actually aimed at really connecting by year 2040 to really make sure that Africa is interconnected through infrastructure, which means roads, all the transportation system and all that. And uh, I think the question that when we saw that program coming coming out and they were going to raise billions of dollars actually to support that, uh, that program. So the question that we ask ourselves, are women involved? in this program because we truly believe that uh, because what we truly believe is that you know by the year 2040 when we say that africa need to be interconnected you know we want to look back and say you know what yes women participated in a process of rebuilding our continent so we started then bringing women together women involved in the infrastructure sector. So we'll say women who are involved in energy, in renewable energy, women involved in construction, women involved in in transportation. So uh, in a couple of meetings that we had uh, with the the African Development Bank and the AU where we say, okay, you know, the problem is, you know, where can we find those women? You know, it's like women involved in infrastructure do not exist. And when we go to those meetings, we say, well, <laughs> we do have those women. Yeah. And here they are. And you will see, I think in that, uh, the, the event that you're referring to in London, it has actually a showcase for us because we really wanted to showcase what women are doing in Africa. And really, we did it. So basically, it's a, it's a program close to our heart where we want to position women uh, really as a participant yeah. to the development of the continent. As far as uh, infrastructure is concerned, we really want to ensure that women emerge as successful leaders in those interest industries where they were not, you yeah. know, even considered in the past. So that program is really very, very important for Africa, especially as we are basically in the process of rebuilding the continent yeah. or really trying to push the development. We just want to make sure that women are not left behind. Yeah. They must be in the process of that um, uh, reconstruction of the continent. Yeah. And I suppose by what you're doing with the Leading Women of Africa um, organization is you're providing a platform. So you're aggregating the women together and making them look, look I suppose, yes, it is about confidence building for each woman to be part of something and presenting that because you just said about, they were asking where the women are. So many places I go, they say, well, we can't find women. (laughs) We can't find female speakers. We can't find women to do this. We can't find women. And so 
whatever metrics they're looking through, they're not seeing the women, but you're making the women visible, which which I think is great. So the women exist and uh, you're providing that platform for them, which I think is, is great. What, what are you doing? Uh, you mentioned, you've mentioned to me previously about investment, investment funds. What are you doing there? Well, Gina, uh, I think what is important is to know that uh, w- uh, women in business especially, they are faced with uh, with number of constraints. And one of those constraints is actually access to uh, to business finance. Where in Africa, I mean, there's a number of factors why women are not easily accessing finance. It could be cultural um, setup. It could be uh, some legislations that doesn't allow women to, you know, to go to the bank and take a loan by themselves or to own properties. So there's quite a number of issues. So we know we 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 are aware that uh, one of the really millions of constraints that are faced by women is access to finance. So what we are doing is now, how can we collaborate with investors uh, in terms of really facilitating the process of women advancing their entrepreneurship drive, which is really mainly access to finance, access to business finance. And here, Gina, I just need to be clear. We're not looking, we're not talking grants, we're not talking aid, we're not talking for, you know, any form of, you know, of uh, free money. We're talking business finance because why? Because we see that women, as we go around the world or around Africa, women are getting access to number of really uh, bankable businesses or bankable projects, put it that way, or, um, you know, um, uh, good projects where with a good return on investment. So, but uh, as I say, the constraint is access to funding. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 our approach now is actually to invite investors and say, we want to create this uh, investment fund uh, for women and um, so that women, when they get these projects, like we have women that have access or they've been uh, allocated uh, a project to build, uh, let's say, 3,000 houses uh, in one particular country. Now women have to get uh, initial capital to invest in those houses before uh, actually the government or the project owner could pay them. So we want to partner with investors and say, we're creating a vehicle where you could put your, um, I mean, you could, you could invest with us, basically. And we're not saying that you just put your money or give us your money. We will provide, we will make sure that your fund has a return on your investment. Mm-hmm. So this fund is very, very critical as we're moving with women that are constantly hungry to getting more businesses, but are more faced with the issue of uh, access to finance. So we would like to appeal to um, investors, you know, when coming to Africa, really consider women as one of the credible partner for development that you could trust, you know, and um, that's basically what we do. And as you rightly said uh, earlier on, this platform is really bringing women from across Africa together because we believe that unity, you know, unity is power, Gina, I'm sure everybody knows that. But I, as women uh, continue to hold hands and working together, you know, it creates a, a sense of um, credibility, you know, because, you know, we are checking on one another, we are supporting one another, we are making sure that each other's business move forward. So it creates a sense of credibility to any investor that wants to come in Africa and say, you know what, I, 
uh, I'm looking for partners, you know. We would like to say consider women as your number one partner in development. It's so inspiring. It really is to, to hear of this initiative. And I heard of it in the early days and to see the progress that you've made and the opportunities you're providing for women to be able to bring their vision to the world through, you know, creating a, a building of the continent and enabling the women to have that confidence, as you say, working together, unity is power. And for people, the decision makers to see that there's a wave of women they want to make a contribution and not be left out in uh, creating the future and you're creating the means for that. I think that's amazing. We've run out of time now, <laughs> but I'm going to come back and hear more about what no, you're doing because it sounds, it sounds fantastic. Congratulations. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, Gina. Thank you for having us. And now we're going to take a quick break and I'll be back with you in a minute with the next guest. voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to The Rise of the Feminine. If you have a question or comment about this program, please send an email to Gina at GinaLazenby.com. That's Gina at GinaLazenby.com. Here again is your host, Gina Lazenby. Welcome back. Now let's move to another part of Africa for our one-woman feature. It might have crossed your mind to reach out and give a helping hand to a stranger who you've met on your life journey somewhere. That's what my next guest, Valerie Humphreys, did while on holiday in Uganda in 2011. And it turned out to be quite a commitment that she took on, fundraising for the last five years to send young Dennis Muzazisi to Kampala International University. Valerie is a retired guest house owner based in Scarborough, England. She was a widow at a young age, and to bring up her two daughters, she ran a guest ran a guest house for 46 years until she sold up a few years ago in her 70s. She's been enjoying her, quote, retirement as a hands-on grandmother, a local volunteer and traveler. And when she ended up in Uganda, well, that's where Providence stepped in, at least for one young boy who was her guide up the mountain to see the gorillas. Let's join Valerie to hear more of her story. Valerie, welcome to the Rise of the Feminine. Thank you. It's nice to see you. <laughs> Great. Great that you're talking with me. I've just been uh, sharing about how you went on this ex- 
I don't know it was an extraordinary holiday, but it had an extraordinary result. So off you went to Uganda and you came back with uh, what seems like the beginning of a long, ad- an- another long adventure. So tell me what made you decide to sponsor this young boy that you came across when he was helping you on your gorilla trip? Well, it was very interesting to talk to when he helped me to climb up to see the gorillas. When I got back home, I received uh, I received an email from him, and um, and from that email, uh, I got, I felt I got to know him quite well, and I decided that to check out to see if he was a genuine, um, impoverished young man. I got a uh, I contacted a, a small. Uh, charity in Cornwall who work, works in Uganda and they checked him out to make sure that he was genuine. He was from a family of 12, he was number seven and he had no money whatsoever. That's a great idea. That's a great idea that you did that because, you know, we can feel moved to take so- to take something on but uh, knowing that he was uh, legitimate, I say legitimate, you know, yes. actually was in the position of... From an impoverished family. Yeah, using, the mon- using what you were going yeah. to do for education so what was what was his dream or his vision that he'd said to you his dream his real dream was that one day he would like to become a doctor wow wow and he had no chance obviously oh no chance he hadn't a penny to his name wow so he got yeah got was seen as he got grade one in his what we would call sixth form um, exams and he had no money of course to take him any further and his parents said to him that's it you must exit education mm-hmm. so when I had him checked out uh, by this charity um, and we found out that he was genuine the only way that he could proceed was if I sponsored him at the private school in Kisaro and that is what I decided to do did you so know? Think, yeah. Did you know what that would entail, financially or commitment-wise, on your part? I knew it was going to be a commitment on my part. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It was going to be initially three hundred and sixty pounds for two years, until he got his results from his what we would call sixth form. Right. And he got a high grade enough to take him to a university. So then I had to decide whether I was going to. Uh, sponsor him further or that would be the end of his education and I felt that I'd given him his his senior education I couldn't just drop him so I had to go on then and raise funds for him to go to a university and at the present time he's just finished his fourth year at Kampala International University uh, training to become a doctor Wow, that's and how 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 much more has he got to do? He's starting his fifth year now. He's starting his fifth year tomorrow, and his full course is five and a half years. Wow! I have to raise enough money for another full year for him. And what have you been doing to raise money? I have three events a year. I do two uh, sponsored uh, lunches, meals in my own home, and a strawberry cream tea in my daughter's large garden. <laughs> And that's how I raised some of the money to keep him at this university. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Because he's not massive. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's not effort in that. You know, I, I know you put it into it. It's amazing. There's a great deal of effort goes into it. Yeah. 
Um, but people are so generous and they've got on board and they like to come and sponsor this young man at my events. And how often are you in contact with him? Pardon? How often are you in contact with with him? Yeah. I'm in touch with him by email, uh, usually about every second or third week. That's fantastic. And what have you got out of all this? What, what's it meant for you? You already have grandchildren and quite a, a full life as a grandmother, I would imagine. I know, but in this country, aren't we so lucky? Yeah. They can work, they can go to university. Yeah. This young man had nothing. Yeah. He's got a brilliant brain and it would have been completely wasted if he hadn't have had any education. And he is so appreciative he knows that I'm putting a lot of effort in and he appreciates that and he's working so hard that I've just got the end of his fourth year exam results this week uh-huh. and out of his whole class, he has come uh, second from the top. Wow, you must be so proud. I am proud, wow. very, very proud. Yeah. Very proud of him and it's given me so much joy. Oh. To, to be able to help somebody who has nothing um it is just so rewarding indeed indeed so you've got another one and a half years and (laughs) and then he's a doctor and then he's a fully fledged doctor and he'll be earning his own money and what's you you tell me his plan plan is yeah that he would like he's enjoying gynecology yeah and he's already performed about a dozen cesarean operations in his fourth year Uh And he wants to take up that as his future um, employment. He wants, if he can, when he's earned enough money, he wants to set up a clinic in his own uh, impoverished area and help girls and women who have problems and with with uh, giving birth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's what he wants to put his own money into and help his own people eventually. And you mentioned also he was doing a special project at the moment. Uh, well, that's part of his university course. Yes, what's he doing? And, and he's, he's doing a course um, at, at finding out um, where young women who are in uh, senior school, um, when they have their monthly periods, uh, how it affects them, whether it makes them ill, whether they get any treatment, whether they have to stay off school um, because of heavy periods, etc., etc. And that project he's handing in this week, and I should know the results of that within about two weeks. Oh, that's great. <laughs> what an enlightened young man. That's beautiful. <laughs> Working on such a great health project. He's now aged 24, by the way. He'll be 25 in October. And all this from a a chance conversation when you were going up the mountain? A chance meeting where he helped me to climb into the forest to see the gorillas. (laughs) And did you see the gorillas? He was one young man standing in a line of young teenagers and he happened to be the next in line who came to me. And when he introduced himself to me, he said his name was Dennis. And I said, I won't forget that name in a hurry because my husband was also called Dennis. Oh, how lovely. What's his second name? Uh, Musa Zizi. <laughs> M-U-S-A-S-I-Z-I. Musa Zizi. Well, I, I, I... All his brothers have biblical names and Ugandan names. So why he was given the English name of Dennis, I'll never know. 
but something happened up there. There was a connection made when he said he was called Dennis. It's interesting, isn't it? It was a kind of a meant to be sort of thing, isn't it? That, that, it that, that moment, history changed what, for both of you. That's what I feel it was meant to be. Yeah. And what would you advise somebody else going on a holiday or having some opportunity to sponsor someone? And we think twice, think twice before you start and don't do anything until you have it thoroughly checked out and you know that the person is genuine, they either suffer from AIDS, the, the, the parents have died from AIDS, or they're very, very impoverished. Yeah, yeah. Because it is a big commitment once you start. Yeah, it is indeed. So, Valerie, you mentioned about having um, Dennis checked out before you started this. Uh, you worked, uh, you found a charity who uh, checked him out. Who, yes. Who's that charity? The charity is AIDS. Um, who work in Uganda. ACE stands for Aid, Aiding Conversation Through Education. Ah, interesting. And it's a small charity in Cornwall, seven people, nobody takes a penny. Uh, they're all volunteers and every penny they make goes out to these nine schools around Kisaro in Uganda. So they're funding for them. And have you, have you visited the schools? I've visited all nine schools. And they're all in um, uh, remote areas around, in the mountainous areas, around Kisoro. And most of the children are impoverished in some way or other. Oh. Okay, so they've facilitated. That's fantastic. Well, so you've kept up to date. You, have you seen Dennis in, in the... In the uh... I've, seen, I've, visited, I've visited Dennis uh, since I first went in 2010. I visit him twice. I've been to his home. I've eaten with his family in their tiny little house. Um, I've been to his university. I've seen the two rooms that I pay for for him to be in. I've been oh, shown me all around his university and all around the teaching hospital where they're trained. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, uh, what do his family think of all this? Pardon? What do his family think of all this? Oh, I mean, they can't thank me enough. They thoroughly appreciate everything I do for him because it also helps the rest of the family. Of course. Of course it does. Great. Well, a very brave and wonderful, inspiring venture it is. And um, thank you for sharing with me today. I hope, you know, somebody who may go on holiday at some point <laughs> and get the inspiration to do something, as we sometimes do, actually makes that well, last step to yeah. make it happen. <laughs> I'm certainly not the only one. I mean, there are people around my area here in Scarborough, um, who d who've done the same thing, but in a different light, they probably help to build a hospital, yeah. you know, or they, they build a home for children who have no parents. Yeah. So I'm not the only person that does this sort of thing. Other people do it as well. That's right. Up and down the land, quietly, where people are, are out there aiding and helping and fantastic yes. it is too great quite, quite often like me they first of all go out to see birds or they go to see gorillas they go on a holiday they see what the situation is like everybody's poverty stricken and they want to help yeah yeah There's so many so many odd aids orphans out there as well yeah. who have no parents to look after them at all yeah and it's the grandparents look after them, just like you're yeah. looking after your African grandchild, Dennis. Valerie, yes. thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. Thank you. 
In the program today, both Africa Zanella and Madeleine Makunu have been highlighting areas where women have not had access to a level playing field. Firstly, with being overlooked at being included in important policy making, particularly decisions made at the highest level globally and nationally. And that's the place from where policy thinking trickles down and affects everybody else in their rulemaking and legislation and provision of access. This is where we need to pierce into consciousness, unconscious thinking and get people to see what they've not seen before, where exclusion and inequality are seemingly invisible to them. Secondly, Leading Women of Africa is a great example of an initiative that opens doors for women who have a hunger for making the change and a vision for how they want to see the world develop for their families, for their communities. Anything that can be done to support them putting their vision into action really is extremely important. Next week, we're going to be talking to Karen Buckley from California and take a look at the role of feminine wisdom and how, given the opportunity to advance, why it's important for us women to look inside and validate our own inner power. That's something our last guest today, Valerie Humphreys, did. When a chance opportunity came her way, she listened to her inner voice and put her feminine compassion into action. So do share your stories of your actions with me. I'd love to hear from you. Why not email me, gina at ginalazenby.com, tweet me at ginalazenby, or remember there's the Facebook page called Rise of the Feminine Radio. That's it for now. It's time to close the show. Please do invite your friends to listen as well. So until next week, stay well, and thank you very much for joining me on the Rise of the Feminine. We hope that you've enjoyed the program this week. Be sure to tune in to The Rise of the Feminine with Gina Lazenby every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.